Hey, this is CollarWorks Radio, and I'm your host, Justin Baker. This week, my guest is Shanika McIntosh, poet, performer, and all-around creative force. This week, going in, I was a little nervous, not knowing what to expect. Some of this comes from my own general insecurities. And some of this comes from having watched Shanika's performance the night before, the way we seem tonight. And I was just floored at the mastery of language and image and just feeling exhausted somehow emotionally at the end of the performance by the sheer power of it. That performance was something special. The further on that I dug into Shanika's body of work, the more I understood that she was a powerful, meaningful voice. And I encourage everyone to read her poem, Epitaph. Shanika and I talked for about an hour about her life, work, and maybe what we are as human beings. Her energy never stopped. And early on, she briefly mentions confidence something I'd been pondering for the past week. I recently spoke to a handful of college students about what it's like to grow old and have no one care who you are. But one student asked me, what was the one thing I would tell my undergraduate self if I could time travel and speak to young me with all my glorious wisdom that I have now. And I didn't know at the time. And I thought, you know, first some inappropriate things, but I settled on taking more writing classes. And that is a fine middle of the road answer. It's perfectly acceptable. But honestly, later, thinking, stewing. I don't know why I I kept thinking about it, but I did. What was the right answer to that question? And I felt in the end, it, it was probably confidence. More confidence, young me. Have some confidence. And not arrogance, but a belief in who I was or what I was doing. I traveled with this veneer that I knew what I was doing, but I was incredibly insecure and full of self-doubt. And I think that was, that was just me somehow, always, just this ball of blah, you know, inside. And it never came from any like weird trauma with like a capital T. It was just there. But in the end, like maybe that's who I needed to be at the time. And maybe that was right for me. But anyway, enough about me. Tonight's musical interlude comes from a mad chemist, Frank Keyes. 
I was 18. It was winter break. And I was at my girlfriend's house. And her stepfather, Frank, out of nowhere, hands me the CD. He's never given me a gift before. This is all impromptu jazz behavior at Frank's house. And with all the intensity he had, he says, you have to check this out. This is the record that changed everything. Everyone knows pet sounds, but this is the real deal. And I didn't know pet sounds yet, but when I went home later, I put some headphones on. I never thought the same about the Beach Boys. I've been in this town so long that back in the city I've been taken for a lost and gone and unknown for a long, long time. Fell in love years ago with an innocent girl who from the Spanish and Indian home home of the heroes and Thank you. 
Yeah, so I am uh, uh, super interested in your work, and uh, I was uh, I was glad you uh, agreed because I'm a, like a, a fan, a new fan. <laughs> oh, cool! Thank you. Yeah, um, I was. Uh, yeah, I was. Sometimes it's it's easier in, in person to talk, um, but this Zoom thing, I I get it, and that's fine. Are you in Hudson? Is that yeah so I um have lived in Hudson like 10 years and so um I actually don't live in the city of Hudson anymore Um, I live a little bit outside yeah I got displaced (laughs) oh no how'd that happen what happened there um the like uh you know we just um got an eviction notice from our landlord you know they were like we're gonna sell the house you all are living in with my roommates which was like a complete shock to us and um the landlord we were with uh owns a lot of the buildings and such in Hudson and it was like really hard to find something that was like affordable for us and you know we like really kind of tried to fight it and then we were like, okay, we got to find some place to live. And it was just like really hard to find something affordable in Hudson and, you know, definitely couldn't afford to like live by um, yourself. Like anyone I know who lives by themselves in Hudson, you know, it's like grandfathered in like, right. Hey, like I'm leaving, you know, people really try to do that, which is like, Hey, I'm leaving or I'm moving. Like, mm-hmm. uh, do you need, do you know someone who wants to move here because this is affordable? So people try to really like, uh, you know, keep it in the circle when these apartments come up. And okay. anyway, we ended up like finding this really beautiful farmhouse Oh, that's nice. A little outside of Hudson. So, I mean, it worked out in the end because I think with like, we moved last fall and just with everything with COVID, mm-hmm. it, um, it was really just like a really uh, nice um, escape, you know, like we were, we have like a big backyard. It's a field. Mm-hmm. That's our yeah, backyard. Yeah. There's like a few fields and like woods and just so it was nice to like be really connected to nature. And I think it would have been really hard to be quarantining like within the city, you know? So we kind of got gotcha. to create like our own little like ecosystem, me and my roommates, which was nice. Yeah. A little um, more space. Yeah. yeah so it like worked out because it was like oh we could go outside and like we could actually go outside you know and like, yeah, yeah. um and then when it was like in the summertime because we have so much space it was really easy to um like you know social distance and see people mm-hmm. um and not you know be like and not you know we had really strict boundaries so it was like Someone could be like actually six feet away from you, but it didn't feel like it. Yeah, yeah. Because you're outside. So it felt more like, oh, you're in a park and like, this is my blanket and this is your blanket. So we could still (laughs) interface. Stay off my blanket. Yeah. Yeah. So it worked out in that way. But yeah, like, you know, I'm a Hudson person, you know, and like of Mm -hmm. my day jobs. And did you uh, grow up there? No, I grew up in Brooklyn. Oh, you did? Okay. And what brought you to Hudson initially? Just like a random occurrence, like, you know, like a, it was 
a series of random events uh, that led me to Hudson. I went to, I had gone to school for a little bit in Great Barrington and I moved back to the city and I was doing like internships and like working day jobs. And um, I ended up moving back to Great Barrington for a little bit for a few months. And I intended to go back to the city and these wonderful girls saw me and were like, Hey, like, Uh, you know, we know you're sticking around for the summer, but we're actually going to be moving to Hudson and the rent's really cheap. Mm. And actually I had been there a few times before and I'd always been like, I don't want to live here. Mm. <laughs> you know, like it felt very like, uh, you know, like it was, it did, there just didn't seem like there was a lot happening. I mean, there was, I just didn't know about it as like a casual visitor, yeah. but it was just like, you know, like things were boarded up and like, there wasn't that many restaurants or like a lot of what's happening now there. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, I don't know. Uh, but they were like, the rent, the rent was really cheap, you know, yeah, like yeah. that lured me in my first apartment in Hudson. I was renting a room with these people and I was paying $150 a month. Ooh, that's nice. Yeah. That's doable. <laughs> yeah, that was like, oh, I could like, I can do that. And so, um, and then they end up leaving after the end of the summer, but I had found a job and, mm-hmm. you know, a community and I ended up staying there. That's um, cool. Yeah. It's funny that, that, um, now I'm going to go back a little further, like probably like 20 years ago. I remember driving up from New York and stopping in Hudson and thinking like, oh, what a dump you know? And, and then I think I went back 10, like seven, eight years later. And I was like, Oh my God, like things are like, look at this place. Um, that's probably when you started maybe living there or something. Um, yeah. Like, I feel like it was funny, funny when I first, when I moved there, I actually ended up moving at the same time. We all end up becoming friends, but there was like 10 mm-hmm. of us um, who were like under the age of 30 who moved yeah, to yeah. Hudson and we we're all in like our 20s like early 20s early 20s and usually um, before then it was like a lot of people who like grew up in the area um, mm-hmm. who would like move to Hudson and it was just like all these people who like didn't grow up there um, like moved there and I remember people were freaking out because I worked at this coffee shop and they were like there's so many young people in Hudson now <laughs> and I just feel like there's literally 10 of us and right. it, it was just like a random occurrence that we all moved there at the same time and we actually all moved there and it was the same summer um, Basilica Hudson opened. Oh, okay. so like yeah like so or like the summer that they bought Basilica I remember that yeah and so it was just like this weird thing happened where like, you mm-hmm. know, and like we all became really like close friends and, um, you know, hung out all the time. But I remember just being like, they were like, young people don't move here. Mm-hmm. Young single people don't move here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, right. especially I was really rare because um, a lot of, uh, it was not usual for um Hold on, where happened. Oh, it was not usual for uh, young black people, you know, who didn't have a connection to the town or family gotcha. to move there. So it was definitely like a, um, it was an interesting time, yeah. you know, but there was already stuff happening. There was a lot of like, you know, I had friends who would come here. Uh, to Hudson before I did and there were like bars there's a cabaret bar you know there's a lot of art and like cool stuff happening I just you know 
um, yeah, I was a privy to it because when I would come visit, I was underage. And so I uh, think there was a lot of like cool stuff happening if you're a little bit older gotcha. um, and like people doing like fun art stuff. And there were, you know, like, I think their tagline was like, Hudson's weird. Like, you know, it was like when Hudson was like weird. <laughs> right. Like, people used to be like, keep Hudson weird, keep Hudson weird. Um, I think there's some weirdness maybe left, but it's definitely different. Mm-hmm. But I think part of the beauty of moving to a community, you know, is it's never exactly what it seems so like you know your impression of something where you're like when you walk into a place and you could be like there's nothing going on here and then you know there's always a scene there's always like artists and there's always people making work and creating community so um part of the beauty i think of living here is really getting clued into that the continuation of stuff Mm -hmm. that has been going on for so long um and like you know um i think a big thing for me too is just Hudson is so intergenerational, mm-hmm. especially moving here so young. I was 21 when I moved here. And so, you know, I was a baby and compared to a lot of people. And so it was really cool. Like I have a lot of friends that are older than me who have like basically served as mentors. You know, I definitely always wanted to be like an artist and a writer, especially a writer since I was a little kid, but it's mm-hmm. a confidence thing. I think that it's really easy uh, when you hear no or that you can't do it um, or like I'm not a big school person you know like mm-hmm. you know I didn't go to the, I don't have an MFA or anything like that so it was cool to like really be connected to older artists who that was like who would be in Hudson you know when I moved here was like artists that were kind of like already established um, and were like teaching or you know just uh-huh wanted to buy a house and so it was great to like be around older artists who would like serve as like mentors and be really encouraging um would would that be like um like writer cooley is that someone that would oh yeah i know writer but like we didn't really have a dynamic like that i mean when i think about that i think about like max goldfarb i don't know if you okay i know the name yeah yeah, like he's an artist, professor, like, you know, like he does a lot of really cool art. Because I got connected um, when I, like, I, I like uh, one of the first things I, like, did in Hudson was that I worked for WGXC, which is the uh, community radio station for Columbia and Green County. And oh, cool. I moved there when it was launching. Um, and I had radio experience because I had done, like, some radio. And... I was like, I'm not doing radio anymore. Like, that's not going to be my identity. And uh, Kaya Weidman, who would later go on to found Kite's Nest, um, she was then kind of coordinating for WGXC. And she actually, like, kind of would, like, zeroed in on me and be like, I heard about you. I know you have radio experience. Like, you got to do this. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And then she... You know, she said, she was like, we don't really have that many, like, female programmers, I think. And then I was like, okay, I'll do it. Like, I was like, I'm going to do it. And so (laughs) I I, I was like, yeah, like, there's only, you know, there was only, like, a handful out of the whole program schedule. So I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm getting, you know, I'm getting on the radio. So I did a radio show there. And then that led to, like, working there and um, up until I was, like, program director for the station. Wow. And that was a lot. That was a lot. And I was just like, I want to be young. (laughs) I think I was like 23, 24 when I was program director of the station. And it was just a lot. And I, you know, 
and I left town. Like I left the job and I left town because I felt oh. like that was so attached to who I was. Just like everyone knew me from the radio station and then I left and then I ended up coming back. Interesting. Um, so can we let can we go back? Because I'm I'm curious about a couple of things. And um I'm curious about um and you already touched on it, but how, how do you how do you see your yourself? And and this could be the facets of it, but like are you primarily a writer? a performance artist or just an artist? Like, I'm, I'm curious if there's any distinctions or or what it is to you. Uh, I wanna, I haven't really thought about it, but I think that I would have to say, you know, I feel like saying artist is really good because it encompasses everything you're like I'm an artist but I want to say that I'm a writer first and foremost like that was Mm -hmm. always such a big you know um thing Mm -hmm. for me since I was a little kid I always wanted to be like a writer like I was going to be the writer like I would write all the time in my journals and I'd make up stories I would actually make up like like take a notebook and write a whole book and then mm-hmm. um, it'd get passed around in my school <laughs> and people would read it, you know, like I'd make up these. And I was always such a like avid reader um, uh, when I was uh, younger. I don't read nearly as much as I used to, but I was such an avid reader. I love reading and I just wanted to, yeah, I just wanted to write. And I think that when, um, I started really committing to it and feeling comfortable in like owning that, um, especially with like my poetry work. uh, I was really embraced uh, in art spaces. Um, And that was cool because I think that, um, you know, I I see myself as like a very visual person, but I'm also not, you know, like Mm -hmm. I I, kind of see myself as a combo of those things. And so there's always a visual behind what I'm doing and um, performance and creating installations and stuff allows for the visual of the space that I'm creating to come through. Um, So, yeah, so that's like, I feel like it's all about. So you say there's a there was a, a connection to art spaces because you would be there performing. Is that like how you were like connected? Yeah, like I feel artists? like art spaces would be like, hey, like do you want to do a reading, you know, yeah, like, yeah. or stuff like that. Okay. Um, and I'd be like, yeah, like I always made stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, I primarily uh, I used to do a lot more collage um, with my text, like collaging images and text. Oh, cool. And, making zines like that was a big oh, nice. thing for me like I loved zine making and practice mm-hmm. um so yeah like so there's always like that happening um but I would have to say that you know like when it came to like getting booked or whatever it was yeah, yeah. really like art galleries and art curators who were I mean that also is just a testament of the people that I'm around you know like mm-hmm. a lot of my good friends are visual artists so they're painters um I'm friends with a lot of painters and mm-hmm. um such and filmmakers and so I think that that like definitely like is why that was happening um so and I think also something happened I want to say like six years ago where 
art spaces, I feel like it comes in and out, but like six years ago was another time where I feel like art spaces were like, yeah, poetry, writing, you okay. know, like, like, I think there was like an embrace, mm-hmm. embracing that kind of like programming outside of just having like a, you know, traditional, like visual show. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, we want to do like a performance or we want to do a reading attached to the show. Like, I think art spaces really started like being like, how do we activate our space, which has definitely been happening for a while, but I think six years ago, um, like that became more commonplace, right? Mm-hmm. To have that kind of programming built out. Okay. Um, yeah, I could see that. But to stick on, um, I want to stay with the poetry for a second, like kind of where you are now and just like how you got there. Cause you had said like you didn't really go to school. Um, but as a kid, you 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 love to read and write. And um, I'm curious, like, how you made this step or how you come to the words you 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 put down, because um, they're so powerful. And and, I, and right now I'm thinking of that poem on your site, um, the epitaph. Yeah. And and what what's your influence in terms of becoming this poet? You know, it's the it's a canon of beautiful black women mm-hmm. who um, I you know when I was younger, like I think it's different now. Mm-hmm. But when I was younger, there weren't really that many black women, um, you know, pub main in a mainstream way. And uh, like now, there's like you know like this kind of like avalanche, which is awesome, of like people in different fields that are really been amplified, and so. I really felt a kinship to um, Toni Morrison and Maya Angelou. You know, those were the Black women that were really being revered. Um, And those books were thrown at me, you know, it was Mm -hmm. like, you should read this. Um, And so, uh, yeah, like, I know why the cage bird sang. And also, like... June Jordan and you know there's just really amazing legacy of like black female Audrey Lord Lord, like obviously like you know so there's like so many amazing um black women writers and to get into their world because I felt very seen by that um and just also I felt like a lot of their writing and how they presented was so different from what in a school sense you're being taught, you know, like, especially with poetry, like you're taught in a very specific way when you're younger. And I think that in a mainstream way, that's interesting because people think of poetry as one way, you know, they're like, these are the rules of poetry. Like they gotta be like, you know, it's gotta rhyme. You know, like that's how like it is when you're taught poetry, at least when I was, you know, in um, like elementary school and stuff and they're teaching you about poetry. And so it was cool to find these. And I never really wrote like that. Like that was never really like my bag. So it was great to find these uh, poets who uh, weren't doing that. Um, And you're like, oh, you don't have to do that. That's great. And also, I think just the the work that they are writing about, it really touched me because I felt seen um, by them. Um, But what I think makes them like classic is that they tap into this thing that's like 
uh, below even the surface of like what their identity is or their politics, right? Mm -hmm. They like kind of are, that's really what they're going after, but they're the way that they're able to, um, a lot of them use empathy um, and these uh, kind of, uh, yeah, emotions that are relatable to everyone. I think expands their work and is what makes it classic. And that's definitely something I aim for. Like I, when I start writing, um, you know, sometimes it's in reaction to a thing um, from reading something, reading a narrative, something that's happened to me, I'll go back and really strip it down to kind of these uh, core um, philosophical ideas. Um, like, cause that's a really big thing too, is I really love um, philosophy and always have. And so like, you know, a lot of my work is kind of inspired too by these social scientists. Like that's a lot of what I read. So, you know, like I'm not like a big fiction reader, so unless it's science fiction, um, <laughs> okay. which I love because it's all class narratives, right? So like, I love science fiction because they deal, it deals in narratives of the other um, and class. And um, so, yeah. And also, you know, I always say this, but being Jamaican, like my whole family is from Jamaica. I'm first generation American and being growing up with reggae, there's something very specific about Patois that I find really beautiful because (laughs) a lot of it is like utterances. You know, there's a project that I wanted to do last year as an installation, but COVID, so got canceled. But I'm going to do it at some point with a friend. But yeah, like there's a lot of like, you know, like, I feel like my whole life was like, uh, you know, being taught these lessons and utterances. And there's something mm-hmm. about Patwa where it's like this double speak that really is like poetry in motion or something. And I love like reggae. I grew up listening to reggae. And mm-hmm. as an adult, and really like kind of embracing it as like my own love and not something that I was raised in, but just being like, oh yeah, like I really love this music. Some of my favorite writers are uh, reggae artists. Um, like I love uh, Linton Questy Johnson, you know, there's like a lot of, and that's, I think kind of inspires too, like my performance work is oh, just the way that yeah. these artists were able to use, like they're poets, you know? And mm-hmm. um, I think you really hear that. And they also are talking about real stuff. They're mm-hmm. talking about class warfare, you know, they're uh, talking about race and um, then they do it under like this dub, like LKJ goes under the dub, you know? And you're just like, oh, this is like the beat, you know? It all mm-hmm. adds to this like emotional release of the um, words. Like it just yeah. like amplifies what they're saying. So mm-hmm. that's what, you know, that's- You know, it's funny you mentioned that, that, that they're talking about real stuff because as I like looked through your work and um, watched um, the way we seem tonight, which was incredibly powerful. Um, you know, I felt like you were you were dealing with uh, the real, like real ideas that 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 are not um, they're abstracted, but it, it's not just about um, like an abstracted language, you know. And uh, and I think, and I guess maybe we can move into that, like. That, that piece that you did at Colorworks was so powerful. And, and when I finished it, I literally, I, I felt exhausted. <laughs> and not, not from it, but that I had been on this journey with you. And that was 
um, a really incredible performance that you you did. Um, and uh, and it's with your words, but also the visualization of it and um, the way that you also started to bend your voice, like using the electronics and how it just became this, uh, at the end, this like primal kind of thing, you know, that I, I, I was, uh, you know, experiencing. Um, and I could be wrong about all of that, but you tell me, uh, uh, like that, that, that work, like how did that, I guess maybe how did that begin? Was it the words first that you had or, or was some of that improv or? Um, so that's interesting. Um, so some of that is new text and some of it was old text. Mm -hmm. um, some of it was stuff that I um, have been like working on. That's why I love performance because I think that you know, there's a different mind for me. If I'm trying to publish something or something's about to get published and it's mm -hmm. like, oh no, I have to edit this like a million sure. times. But there's a rawness that gets preserved within the text that you can get away with in a performance that, you know, you necessarily um, can't get away with. Or like, I wouldn't allow myself to get away with sure. in like print, you know, because there's some like, there's, what I like about performance is like an ephemera to it. And so it's an experience. So you're like walking, you're giving someone an experience and then they're walking away from that. And so like, um, so some of it was like uh, poems, sketches, um, like uh, incompleted poems that I've been working on that I'm like, maybe I'll go back to it. Maybe I never will. Um, and then like pulling in older work that I felt like fit into this theme. But really that performance was interesting for me because usually it's like, it starts with like the text. It's usually it starts with like some idea that I'm trying to convey. And I do this like, I did policy debate in high school, so I blame that, but <laughs> I'm a research queen. Like I, you know, I have this thing where I can't, I really want to know, I want to make sure I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and mm. so like, you know, and also I just really enjoy doing that kind of independent research. And so I will, you know, like um, read, like academic text and like oral histories and other things like if I if there's like a specific thing that I'm trying to convey you know like I love like reading um that kind of work and then like processing it with my own filter through my own experiences or people closer to me and like creating work from that mm. and um, so usually like, that's what I'll do for a performance. Like, I'm like, okay, well, this is the kind of thing that I'm trying to give and like, all right, I'm going to like, oh, like this touches on, you know, like a Sadea Hartman, like, you know, like mm -hmm. essay, like, oh, I got to read back that essay and like, oh, like, you know, like I, there's a lot of research that goes into my performances when I'm like doing like something specific for that one, the way we seem tonight, it was interesting because, um, it's like, I would say my first virtual performance. Mm -hmm. um, and I knew two things, which is that it was going to be live streamed, but also that it was going to be in this gallery space um, afterwards. So I kind of really like was trying to build out a performance that would like engage live, but would be able to like, you know, you would be able to watch it and you didn't watch it live, but that you're still like, um, yeah 
getting it. And that's really interesting because I've definitely seen artists uh, or performance videos where it was like live recorded, but it doesn't capture, you know, and then it's in a gallery space yeah. and it doesn't really capture the thing. Right. So I was very conscious of that because I was like, well, I don't want it to be a thing where someone is like, oh, I guess I should have been there, you know, yeah, yeah. for it. Um, yeah. And so because of that, and I knew that I wanted to do visuals because when I get to do a performance, um IRL um I've been lucky enough to like you know be able to have some sort of production and I usually have like musician friends that I'll bring in to create a score and Mm -hmm. you know that'll be a sense of me being like well I'm trying to be on my Gil Scott Heron tip so I'm gonna like need this Uh kind of rhythm or you know um and like build out like you know, like I usually have visuals behind me and lighting and, you know, that's a collaborative process. Like I'll bring in people that I know are like really great at doing those things and be like, sure. Hey, so this is what I'm imagining. Like, you know, are you down for, um, you know, working with me on this? Cannot do that in COVID. Um, <laughs> and so it was cool because there, you know, it allowed me to really, uh, take certain things into my own hand. And so when it came, I knew that I wanted it to be like a visual journey or not just one of it, I knew it had to be. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, like there's a simple way of doing things where I really think that I could have just like read. And sometimes I have to say that to myself being like, the thing that matters is the text. Like Mm -hmm. you don't, cause you know, someone said to me once like, don't put too many elements in there because you're afraid of the attention on you, you know, like, cause they'll be distracting. So like, I try not to distract people too much because at the end of the day, it is all about the text and the journey that we're going on with it. And, but with the live stream performance, I really got to learn how to use a lot of equipment. So, oh, wow. you know, I'm like using, like, I was like with the green screen and like, it was a lot cause I was mixing the visuals live. So there's- uh, Oh, you were, content- that's, that's interesting. Yeah, so I was live yeah. mixing um, cause there's some elements that were pre-recorded um, mm-hmm. like visually. Um, there were videos that I had stitched together um, and you know, uh, and then, you know, there's like the me that was live um, reading. And there was just also, I left room for myself to kind of just go with it because uh, there's no fun in like a perfectly planned, like, you know, like, I feel like I'm always like, oh, that was, you know, I think I did that once and I was like, everyone's like, that was good. And I was like, yeah, I just, I feel nothing. Cause mm-hmm. I just was like, had planned and executed every minute detail and then, okay, I did that. And now it's over. Like, right. cool. like, you know, I didn't get a thing from it. So I always leave room for my space for myself to like improv or like throw in a different thing and just yeah. like also go with it and go with the flow of like the what's edge. happening in the moment. Because, you know, like for instance, um, the day like that ended up becoming this thing that like really stitched together all of these different elements of the performance and that was something I was just um kind of messing around with in sound check um yeah. that I was sound checking for myself <laughs> with the you know um the uh live stream and I was like wow like this really you know there's a reason why it's this song at this moment and I really felt like um you know, for people who don't know, the banana song, Deo by Harry Belafonte, as famous by Harry Belafonte. Also, I guess like Beetlejuice, which is how a lot of people know it because it's in that movie, Beetlejuice, which is 
suspect in hindsight, you know, you're <laughs> just like, how did they get away with that? But Deo Banana Song is actually like um, a work song right. from Jamaica, which is where my family is from. And so like, um, I've always loved that song. Um, and I think because it has like this hint of patois. And so it was a working song, you know, when people were, uh, you know, like slavery in Jamaica and they would sing that. Um, uh, and yeah, I, I just felt like that's incredible. I never sing it in that kind of context. And I definitely felt like I was channeling my ancestors and it was like hitting in a totally different way. And I was, you know, after that, I was like, oh yeah, like it really fits into the journey that I wanted people to go on. Um, but also like for me, because I felt like I was really channeling the anguish of that text mm-hmm. in itself, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's incredible that that, that happened in a sort of an improv way because when I, you know, experienced the performance, it it was like, it was this chorus that like kept, kept bringing me back, you know, in some way, or, or it was like pushing, like, as you said, it was stitching the, 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 the pieces together. And it was really, it was really powerful. And I loved how you, you ended on that in this kind of weird, abstraction that was like really uh like almost like this sound mutation kind of thing it was yeah a really good friend of mine I love them and also you know we always joke that like we're on the same tip it was like Joey get out of my brain and we're like oh no I'm doing that too you know like we really are of two minds in a long way and they're an amazing poet um and their name's Joey de Jesus and Joey uh, we've been both like kind of really into like the idea of portals and um, in a lot of different fashions. And Joey, um, like I think it was like two years ago, I was talking about like sound portals, you know, like how you can have that effect with like sound. Um, and it was interesting because as I was mixing everything, like I do love like a little noise, noisy stuff, like mm-hmm. uh, my youth, like being into noise music, but so like, I do like a like noisy, like uh, reverb sound. And there's something, uh, why I end up like going with that is that there was like kind of this like echo sound portal thing happening with it, where I felt like, especially with the visual of the water, which yeah. is this, um, which is an animation that a really good friend of mine, Rebecca Borer uh, did. So she like b- made that in Blender. Um, and like okay. water is really important and you know the like um, you know Atlantic trade so like it was just a lot of it just really worked out because I felt like with the sound and the pulsating like I I kept pushing it because mm-hmm. I think with the water especially like you really felt like I'm like in a portal like I'm like I'm channeling something and you know, that was a big part of the performance was like, okay, we're literally like was portals, you know, like that was the underlining thing. Like in the opening, I took, these were all footage that I had filmed of what I felt like felt portal-y, you know, there was like the huge rainbow while driving, Um, you know, then there's the, um, you know, I'm really into like, I'm a passive passenger because I don't drive. So I'm always a passive passenger. So that point of view. Um, and I think that works too when it with when it comes to like my work and the like histories that I try to write about. Um, and like, I feel like 
a lot of the times, like I'm a passive passenger, uh, you know, some like a vessel for some other, you know, uh, narrative that's not necessarily mine, but tied to me. And with the, you know, and the opening too of the portal, like there's one in the woods and that was just like a natural occurrence of the trees, but it was in the circular shape and it really was like magical when I stumbled on it on a walk and I was like wow like I feel like if I step into this I'm going to go somewhere else Mm. so from the beginning like really a lot of the performance was talking like thinking about like transportation and like portals and like opening portals in different dimensions and um yeah and like kind of being spoken to through that and also just be like by virtue of doing something that's a live stream virtual performance it's like I'm portaling to you you know yeah yeah yeah, that's a portal so like you know a lot of it just really that's Mm -hmm. um that was important portal in time yeah that's amazing um I want to like um uh just touch on uh, a couple of things else um because I'm uh, again I'm, I'm interested um in the 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 sign project and what is um first i love the idea um and i love the idea of encountering text powerful text in a place where we don't normally encounter it and the there's a couple there's the one in troy or was in troy and then there's the the documentation you have of the two poems the burn and paradise um which are beautiful um and i'm just i'm i'm curious on on your um your instinct to do that or to 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 play in that world of the is it like about the casual observer encountering something that might question them or is there yes. a question there? Yes. I'm like, I could tell you really enjoyed Epitaph because I feel like that whole poem is like kind of um, about that too, like in a, in a successful way. Like I feel like it's mm. one of my poems that successfully gives that. Um, I, funny enough, years ago and when they started you know being able to actually do this project a friend of mine was like I don't remember you talking about this four years ago Mm -hmm. so being again a passive passenger you know I was thinking about strip malls because there's a big strip mall in Hudson like that there is like everywhere um it's on Fairview it's called Fairview like I'm going to Fairview that's where like Mm -hmm. the grocery store is and you know it's a certain ways out of town it's like where you're gonna get the fast food places the walmart etc and then there are also other businesses um that moved out there that are not big box stores uh and it's the only place i feel like in upstate new york hudson valley or rural suburban area where you're gonna see a lot of signage i grew up in new york city so i've grew up bombarded by like visuals like mm-hmm. everywhere and it's funny going back to the city because I'm like this is crazy like I never mm-hmm. noticed it but you're like there's so many ads like you know it feels like you're a minority reporter or something because <laughs> they're just like oh there's ads and stuff and warnings and oh that's art and like okay and like that's an you know like so there's so much stuff like visually and I think that you know, um, the passive way that that happens um, in uh, rural suburban areas, you know, is like these signs. 
And mm-hmm. also, I just really think about like accessibility. I worked at the local library in Hudson doing programming for a number of years. And I, it allowed me to interface with like people that I normally, I think I would see and be like, I'm going to keep it moving. You know, it's not people I would normally engage with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's true the other way, but I actually ended up like really making like good friendships out of people that like you would never think. Um, right. And they were really cool. And like their politics were cool, which is first and foremost, they had cool politics um, and they like got it and they were really funny and had like witty commentary and I would never have talked to them and but these were people that I saw like you know they'd see things were happening in Hudson they're like oh cool but they're not going to go to the Basilica they're not going to go to like anything that like I would be doing you know like in town but they go to Fairview and so Mm -hmm. I was just kind of thinking about like that like really um you know the you know a huge population of people white, black, whatever, who are not um, engaging with the arts because it's not going to them, you know? And it's interesting when you think about like these like spaces and how they become institutions and how they become, you know, uh, hard to access. And accessibility is such a big thing for me because now I don't have an MFA or whatever, but I grew up in New York City around a lot of access to contemporary art. And Mm -hmm. I think that that has been a you know that says they're all there is too about my like my exposure to it you know like it'd be like what do you want to do well I guess we'll just go to the museum because we can go sure. for free yeah. or like we could go to Broadway because we can get free tickets you know there's like me and my friend would do that every weekend we'd go to we'd just get free tickets from the guidance counselor to go to Broadway just to have something to do you mm-hmm. know so like it's there if you want it in New York right there's like certain measures that have been taken to have it be, the arts be more accessible. That is not the case um, other places, right? Right. Outside of the metropolis. And so um, I know that I wouldn't have the language I have to talk about art or to create art if I didn't have that exposure. Um, And I definitely came of age when the, with the ramp up of like public art, um, you know, like I think mm-hmm. that like creative time and all of those things, like yeah. were really like um, establishing themselves when I was like a child. Um, and so like there would be like a really cool art exhibition and like you'd be on the news and you'd be like, whoa, like the gates was like a big one. Right, know. right. Yeah. Like, so, you know, like I remember it was just like, everyone's like the gates, like, you know, it took over <laughs> New York City. Um, everyone knew about the gates, you know, so like, yeah. uh, and so, yeah, so. I, how do you do that here? Um, mm-hmm. And so I felt like Fairview is like, you know, the strip mall is a perfect yeah. place to have kind of this equal footing. And I also just love the idea of like, you know, everyone engages with it too. Like you can't even help it. You're just like, oh, you're looking at stuff and you're like, oh, that's a weird thing. You know, it's like, how do you get someone's attention? So even if it's a phrase or like a poem, it's interesting to see someone like, you know, passively engage to it. And maybe it's something that they will then think about. Um, you know, someone, I, the first one that I got to do was uh, in August and it was this store called Furniture Plus. It's a furniture store. Mm-hmm. They have an LED sign. I've seen that, yeah, and yeah. And they like were like, yeah, sure, you can do that. <laughs> uh, there was a contact with like many, many of the businesses in Fairview, and they're like, what? Like that sounds weird. Um, but Friendship Plus was super down. They're awesome. They were like, yeah, we'll do it. It was supposed to be a week. They left it up for a month, 
you know, and they were like, we just need our two slides in there, but they really loved it. Um, Cause people were like going into the parking lot and engaging with it, you know, like they'll like park their car to like in their parking lot <laughs> to look at the, all the text. And someone messaged me that I didn't know. And they're like, uh, there's one line on it where, um, it's uh, screamed into the void and kept mm -hmm. scrolling. And so when I was like, I almost crashed my car when I read that because I was like, that's what, I, that's, you know, where I'm at too. So it's cool to, you know, engage with people in that like passive way. And like, you're either about to crash your car or someone's gonna like pull over or I don't mm -hmm. know. I just love the way that people engage with public art. Like it's not, there's no pressure mm -hmm. to like, let me have an opinion and deconstruct this or whatever right, that right. happens in a gallery institutional space. It's kind of just there for you to look at and you can be like, I don't, I'm not feeling it. Or you could be like, Oh, I really like this, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, so it's kind of fun. It's like everyone's doing it at their own time. And so that's, that's why. <laughs> I did. What were you talking about? I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, 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 it's perfect. And I, I love the idea of uh, a fair view as, as the gates, that's really. <laughs> yeah, and you know, the, the opportunity to do them because it was funny because when I was really building out the idea to do this years ago and the reason I would have just done it independently, but you need admin support for something like that. You know, you really yeah. need people advocating for you. And like, you know, unfortunately I think that you get a better response when it's like, I'm calling from this gallery or I'm calling from sure. like this yeah. festival. People are kind of more like, okay, this seems legitimate than like right. me being like, can I use your sign? They're like, what? <laughs> um, and so, uh, um, but what, Sorry, I just like lost track of what I was gonna say. Okay. Signs, yeah, we're yeah, talking yeah. about our side project and like doing thinking, accessi yeah, yeah. Yeah, accessibility, all of that stuff. Um, but no, like I really wanted, I remember um, when I first came up with it, the idea, I was like, the thing is though, I don't wanna be like, I wanna do this in rural areas. Yeah. Like, I wanna do it like, and I hope to continue to do it. And um, I just found out we're gonna be able um, Collarworks um, has helped to get uh, two more signs oh, cool. uh, takeovers in Albany. Oh, so beautiful. that's, which is really amazing. And those are going to be going up at some point this month. Um, okay. I just found out. Uh, Elizabeth is amazing. <laughs> uh, Rockstar like made it happen. So I'm really excited for those. But, you know, like that's the places I want to engage in because Mm -hmm. they're not necessarily the spaces that you expect yeah. that to happen. And just as a kid who I see the, you know, I am a testament to the impact of like what public art and like um, making art for the public and having it be accessible can lead to. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I want to do. Like, mm -hmm. and, um, and why you know, shouldn't it be there? Why shouldn't it be that? Exactly. And I love like the idea of it being in places that, you know, wouldn't necessarily get work um, engaging in it in that mm -hmm. way. Um, mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be this like frou-frou like thing. And, you know, what also what I think I like about it is it makes me shift. I'm, it's not censoring, my, I don't censor myself or anything, but it makes me shift into a different way of thinking when I know that this is going to be like, it doesn't have the context of like a larger piece to mm -hmm. back it up, you know, like whatever it is, it has to like hit it, but it needs to be something that no matter who you are, you're going to take something away from it. And, you know, it could trigger someone or someone it could, which could be like, 
oh, like, I get this. Like, this is like the thing that I understand. Or mm-hmm. someone's like, I don't understand this. Like, what are they saying? So and I have to dig a little bit deeper from what, you know, um, I would maybe just like throw up to something if I just had it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, like what is going to be the phrase or the line or like paragraph to really sum up a thing to engage with people on this mass scale. Yeah. Um, and that's, and that's true to my work, you know, like, and so that's really like a fun challenge. Like I was like, okay, you know, well, uh, I think we're, I think you said it all. I think we're, <laughs> we're going to wrap it up, but um, really um, I'm, I'm so interested and I, I appreciate you talking to me. And um, uh, you have such incredible energy and your work does. And the, the thing you said in the beginning that I, I find, you know, it's funny because I was thinking about this this morning because uh, yesterday um, I gave a talk to some students at a, another school um, about like my work and, you know, my involvement in Collar Works. And this, this uh, student asked me, you know, what, what, you know, if you could talk to your, younger self and undergrad like what would you what would you tell him and I was really stumped you know I was like really geez I don't know um take more writing classes um you know I wasn't really sure (laughs) but this morning and it's and it's funny you brought this up because you you talked about having the confidence and I thought this morning you know what I would have needed when I was younger more confidence you know yeah I was yeah I was full of self-doubt which is fine you know, that, that's okay. But confidence allows you to move through life with a, not ease, but just there's, there's something like you're, you're going to take chances that maybe you wouldn't, you know, and, uh, and you mentioned that early. And, and, I and it's also being so with true. when it, when you're able to be confident, you can advocate for yourself and say exactly. what you want. You know, like yeah. for instance, a sign project would not be happening if I like um not the first iteration of it, I was very clear to being like, This is what I want because mm-hmm. it was for a festival and they wanted a performance and for me and I was like, I will do a performance if you give me the sign, you know, because this is like this is my opportunity to do that. And I think without the confidence to advocate for myself, which I'm still learning, honestly, like I think, you know, and I think that it's hard because when you say confidence, I think people think like being an egoist, which is yeah. not what I'm talking about, exactly. you know? Yeah. Um, I think that especially coming from, you know, an immigrant family, uh, mm-hmm. growing up poor, working class, uh, it's real when you're talking about getting into the arts, it just seems really crazy. Like they're like, you're cuckoo. Like this is what you <laughs> want to do. Like, you know, so it's really like about building like this confidence that like, yes, like in yourself and your work, because to show it, you're going to have to be, you know, yeah. people will hate it, you know, like, and that's what's even something like the sign project. I would not be able to do without any sense of confidence because you're opening up to everyone and I'm sure there are people who hate it, but if I wasn't, you know, if I wasn't confident in my work, that thought would crush me and cripple Mm -hmm. me from like continuing on um, into uh, doing that. So, you know, and I think that, you know, it's interesting because I have a lot of friends from different backgrounds and, you know, the friends that I have that a lot of my friends that a big chunk of them that I feel like are really established 
and are like my age or a little bit younger than me come from like middle class, upper middle class backgrounds. They've been, you know, they've been talking about confidence. They've been told like they can do it. They can go ahead and do this and achieve that. That's not something that everyone's had. And so it takes a little bit longer to build that for yourself if you didn't have that like kind of nurturing uh, when you were younger. So a lot of people I know who've like popped when they were really young, like, you know, their whole lives, they were nurtured to have a certain Mm -hmm. sense of confidence to be able to put themselves out there. Um, But I don't, you know, I think the self-doubt though, like, that's important because I also know people who like have none of that and the work is never that great. You know, you're like, you know, I think people are complicated. That's why I have like, I have like complications, whatever. I can't remember it right now. Um, But yeah, I like there. People are complicated, and we should allow people to be complicated. Um, and that's not like something to talk about. Like, uh, not ex- you know, it's not an excuse for like no accountability or something. Like, no, like accountability is a different thing. When I mean complicated, is that uh, people have conflicting emotions. They go through their stuff, and you know, I think that that's what the work should always portray. Yeah. Um, you know, like I love work, like the visual writing, just anything that is like complicated, um, you know? And I think that people, when they sometimes, you know, when you're like, this is a complicated character, it's someone who's like mean or something. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, there's something that someone told me, which goes back to the wonder of having older friends, which I highly recommend for people, <laughs> like, you know, be intergenerational because it's a really a blessing. And I love the, you know, like my older friends have been, so important in instilling my confidence. Um, and, you know, someone said something to me and it always stuck with me when I was like a little 20 year old and like, just like, do, do, do. And <laughs> they were just like, yeah, sometimes you're the hero and sometimes you're the villain. <laughs> and it was just like, oh, like that really blew my little brain at the time because it's so true and like when you can live in that like yeah like sometimes you are the hero of the story um to your perspective but then you could be the hero of a story to your perspective but you could also be the villain to the other person's perspective and it's actually knowing that and also knowing when you're the villain and it's like okay are you going to hold yourself accountable for being the villain some there's usually a reason for that and so i think that is the kind of truth of everyday life that I love to see in work. Um, and I love to see, uh, you know, in people who can own that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Shanika, tell me a lot. <laughs> oh. <laughs> now I know, though. I'm like, I didn't like to, you know, I, I didn't have that much coffee today. So I'm like, ooh, like, I wonder how I sound, but it's okay. Yeah. I used to do radio, so I'm like, you're so good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm a rambler. Well, I don't. So it, I, no, no, it's good. We're, we're going to end there because that's um, it's really great. Well, uh, while we're here, just thank you again. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks for asking me. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, and thanks to anyone who's listening. And uh, I guess I'll, you know, check out my website or my Instagram. If you're interested, I'm going to be releasing my first. A book of poetry this year so Ooh, okay yeah i'm really excited i'm working on it right now so i'm really excited about that so cool. um yeah stay tuned in that i well, think it's gonna yeah, i'll put all those links good. um in the write-up as always thanks for listening
please check out Collarworks Gallery at 621 River Street in Troy, New York. Additionally, look for Shanika's sign project popping up in Albany, New York, starting soon. <laughs>